Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Mind Body Mastery podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and I'm so excited you're still here with me today. Um, it's been really cool getting this podcast out to you guys. I've had a little more action in my group. A few people joined, uh, a few people that I didn't know joined, which is really neat. That's a milestone for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then also the reviews um, and ratings on iTunes have been awesome to see come through. So thank you guys for reviewing, um, specifically uh, Caddy MK. Thank you so much. And Coop Sauce, I really appreciate your kind words of encouragement. And um, if you have a moment and you're able to leave a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. Um, reviews are how we get more people into the show. And so if you could just take a moment, if you've liked anything you've heard so far, just Throw me a five-star rating if you like it that much. <laughs> um, and if you want to give me less stars, then um, you can just keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Feel your feelings. Maybe journal about it first and then decide. Um, so, um, so today I just want to kind of get back into the education portion of the podcast. The interviews that I've done have been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed having my special guests on and we've got some special interviews coming down the pike. So stay tuned for some more success stories. Um, but today I want to take another, um, opportunity to reinstill in your mind the power that your mind has over your body. So so today is going to be a do I have TMS episode. So we're going to go through a little checklist of of clues that will let you know if what you're dealing with personally is a TMS issue or not. And uh, yeah, we'll get into the show. I'll tell you about um, what I think about that. And then you can decide for yourself. Again, as always, I am not a doctor. This is not medical advice. And if you really are concerned about a physical problem, um, go get that checked out. Make sure you don't have a tumor. Make sure you don't have a, some kind of pathology that needs immediate medical care. Um, but once you have that done, come on back to the episode and go ahead and uh, and treat yourself the way I treat myself, which is with 100% certainty that Everything that I will be dealing with now and in the future is TMS. And I can honestly say with my whole being that I will always assume that whatever is coming up for me is TMS because, and you know, maybe until proven, proven otherwise, right? So I'll go at everything with the assumption that it's a mind-body situation. I will dig into my emotions, try to process whatever feelings are underneath it, try to be still and be with those feelings without condition, try to be with the pain without condition if pain is the issue that comes up. And if I go through a year of that and I still am struggling, you know, then maybe I'll be proven otherwise. But for now, TMS offers a solution to whatever it is you're dealing with, whereas conventional diagnosis and treatment 
um, maybe doesn't offer a solution, or maybe the solution is pain medicine for the rest of your life, or uh, another like antacid for the rest of your life, or uh, physical therapy for the rest of your life, or a diet change for the rest of your life. And if you mess up on any of those rest of your life recommendations, you suffer, right? And so I choose to believe that everything that comes my way is TMS. That way, I don't give it fear, and I allow whatever is there to come through me and trust in the inner wisdom of my body to heal, to self-regulate, and to eventually release it. And um, the moment we get into a place of fear about whatever the diagnosis is, then we are we are keeping ourselves in fight or flight, right? And that fight or flight is the whole basis of the problem of TMS in that we feel stress, we feel tension in our bodies, and our brains literally think we're in danger. And so it sends us danger signals in the form of pain or discomfort or IBS or bowel issues, you know, it doesn't matter what form it comes in. I believe it's all TMS. And I believe that is wonderful news because that means we can heal. And so the most common question that new people have when coming to this mind-body phenomenon is, do I have TMS? Do I specifically with this weird diagnosis have TMS? You know, Sarno never wrote about polymyalgia rheumatica or uh, Chiari malformation. Sarno never wrote about this or that or this or that. And no, he developed this in the 80s when half these diagnoses weren't even a thing. And I believe that whatever label has been put on your situation is keeping you in pain and keeping you thinking that you're broken and that you're going to have this label forever. Diagnoses keep us locked in them. And so the moment we can unlock ourselves from whatever diagnosis we were given that doesn't have a medical solution, and we can instead replace that diagnosis with TMS, now there is a way out. And that is awesome. And so why wouldn't you just choose to pick the diagnosis that has a clear cut path out? And the hardest part, I think, for people is just releasing the fear that this won't work for them, right? But like Nicole Sachs says, sure, maybe it won't work for everyone but it can work for you. You need to be your own best advocate and and take back your power. The more we believe in the diagnoses that the medical community has given us, the more power we give to that particular pathology. And so we might as well just read from Wikipedia or Wikimed or Medscape Info or whatever website we go to, we might as well just read all the symptoms every day and just assume that that's what we're going to experience because we've been given the diagnosis. And so I find it to be way more empowering to just assume that everything is mind-body syndrome. Do you have a mind? Do you have a body? 
okay, that syndrome is likely mind-body. But today, um, just to humor you guys, and because I know that not a lot of you are where I'm at with that yet, um, I'm going to go through a typical list of things that are good clues as to whether or not you have a mind-body syndrome happening. And so we'll start that list off. <clears throat> oh, but first, I kind of want to talk about something that's uh, been viral recently. So have you guys heard about the Yanny and Laurel thing? It, I'd be surprised if you didn't. Um, but I find the Yanny and Laurel phenomenon to be super intriguing. And so if you don't know what it is, it's this sound clip that to some people sounds like Yanny and to the other half of the world, it sounds like Laurel. And so it's just so interesting to me that your perception is your reality. And this brought back the gold, gold and white and black and blue dress phenomenon that happened a few years ago, where two people are looking at the exact same image and they see totally different things. And so I find this experiment to be super interesting. And of course, I see it through a TMS lens in that you're perception of the world becomes your reality. And so my perception of the world is that it's all TMS. And so then my reality is one of freedom and no fear of symptoms. And so for those of you who, let's say, let's say you have a medical diagnosis, and we'll call it Yanny. If all you hear is Yanny, and you believe that Yanny is all there is. And the only solution to Yanny is meds and surgery and postural alignment, then that will be your experience. But if you can open your mind and realize that, hey, some people hear Laurel, that's crazy. And let's call it Laurel TMS. And so to those of you who have only heard Yanny, Laurel sounds so, so crazy, right? You've been taught Yanny your whole experience of knowing Yanny versus Laurel. And the doctor shows you that you have Yanny here, here, and here on your spine. <laughs> Stay with me here. Um, but maybe one day you come upon a doctor that says, did you know that you can hear Laurel too? And maybe that doctor shows you those two sounds on a different frequency or a different wavelength. And suddenly, now all you hear is Laurel, right? And so this doctor showed you that you can literally reprogram your brain to hear Laurel now. So now you have a new future, a future of possibilities and a future of potential freedom from pain and a future that keeps you out of fear because when you believe that you only have laurel or tms then the fear is automatically gone right and the only reason why the pain sticks around is usually because you have an undercurrent of fear that still needs to be dealt with 
or you have doubt in the laurel diagnosis, right? And so I encourage you guys to do your best to hear laurel, right? Laurel equals freedom. And uh, if you can't tell which which one I heard is laurel all the way, team laurel. Okay, so on that note, um, the following is a little TMS checklist, a little do I have mind-body syndrome checklist that I think you guys will find helpful. So has your pain been kind of on and off for many years? Does your pain only occur at certain times either of the day or of the month, or does it increase when you're on your period, or does it increase when you're on vacation or decrease when on vacation, or does it increase when you're stressed? All of these indicators show that it's a mind-body phenomenon rather than a structural issue, Um, because if it were really structural, it would only get worse and worse and worse. You would never have good days, you know, and it wouldn't ebb and flow based on life situations, right? Because the structure is the structure. And so, um, you know, I always think about that with bone on bone arthritis and that so many people with that diagnosis, which is just the next pervasive diagnosis, right? Um, they believe that that is the reason that they're knee hurts or their hand hurts whenever they have pain, but then they'll have a day without pain. And if it were really the bone on bone structure that was causing the pain, then you wouldn't have those days, those good days, right? And so let me just say right away, I believe you can have bone on bone pathology and have no pain. So that's something that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around. Um, But I've seen it happen, and I know it to be true. So it can be true for you, too. And so uh, let's back to the list. Do you consider yourself to be a perfectionist, a goodist, someone who's always taking care of everybody else? Are you goal-oriented or performance-driven? Are you anxious or restless? Um, Have you had diagnostic imaging that shows herniated and bulged discs, degeneration, spondylolysis, spondylolisthesis, or other normal aging processes? Are you calm and mild-mannered all the time to the point where you put a smile on even when you're upset? When you are criticized by others, do you internalize it? Do you feel short-tempered but manage to keep it all at bay? Have you been dealing with big changes in life that you're still adjusting to? Have you reached a new goal, perhaps, or achieved a life milestone recently? Do you have any obsessive behaviors, any repetitive behaviors, any OCD-type behaviors? Do you avoid conflict at all costs? Are you even aware of your emotional state from moment to moment? This is one that I realized Um, personally, was a big one for me. I came to the realization while doing this work and this study that I had literally no idea what I was feeling and why. So if my husband and I would get into an argument, he'd be like, well, what's the matter? And I would be like, I don't know. You know, it's like I had no idea what I was feeling or why or where it was coming from. 
And so this is another sign that what you're dealing with is TMS, just that that unawareness of of your emotional states in each moment. Because we're so we become a society of people that are just so good at shoving it all down. And that's where the conflict arises. And then I'm going to go through a list of diagnoses that have been proven to be a mind-body situation or TMS, but this is not an exhaustive list. So I'm just going to say that this covers a lot, but not all. And so do you have repetitive strain injury, restless leg syndrome, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, thoracic outlet syndrome, TMJ, GERD, IBS, chronic fatigue syndrome, ulcerative colitis or interstitial cystitis, eczema, hives, psoriasis, migraines, tension and cluster headaches, frequent urination, fibromyalgia, addictions, acne, infections, allergies, hiatal hernia, hemorrhoids, hot flashes, frozen shoulder, drop foot, dry eyes, rosacea, floaters, gout, ulcers, whiplash, plantar fasciitis, heel spurs, swollen glands, chondromalacia of the knee, tinnitus, tachycardia, spasmodic dysphonia, mitral valve prolapse, limes, hypertension, impotence, eating disorders, Epstein-Barr virus, dizziness, cramps, ankylosing spondylitis, asthma, frequent recurring cold sores, constipation, carpal tunnel, bursitis, arthritis, alcoholism, angina. That list is pretty um, comprehensive, but again, if you didn't hear yours, do not despair. I think it's still TMS. I'm not a doctor, though. Do you often drink alcohol, take medications or recreational drugs as a way to emotionally numb yourself? Do you find yourself crying for no apparent reason or snapping at people for small things? Do you worry excessively about everything? Do you feel like you need to be in control of each situation that you're in? Are you becoming more hermit-like or have you always been hermit-like? Are you perhaps at midlife? Might you be feeling upset about the aging process in general or upset about what might be happening to your looks or afraid of mortality in general? Have you had a major career change or relationship change? Is there a tension in your marriage? Are you caring for a sick or infirmed loved one? Or are you the sole caretaker for your kids? Did either of your parents suffer from pain that you were keenly aware of, aware of while growing up? Were your parents heavy drinkers or negative thinkers? Were they drug addicts? Were they not loving to you? Or were they critical of you or nagging or constantly ill or apathetic towards you? Were you adopted? Did your parents separate or did one or both of them pass away? Did you feel abandoned at an early age? Did you suffer any emotional or physical or sexual abuse? Are you currently in school or college? Was there a recent death in the family? Did you just retire or move into a new home? Do big traumas happen in life that you intellectualize as well? That's just life. Because if so, there is likely a big emotion under that intellectualization that needs to be felt and dealt with. 
And the final and hallmark symptom, one that I dealt with in my practice for years before knowing about TMS is symptom shifting. Sarno talks about the symptom imperative as being the hallmark of TMS. And looking back, I know this to be absolutely true. In my personal life, the moment I stopped my disordered eating or my bulimia, my back went out for the first time and stayed chronic for two years after that. And then my hips and my neck would flare in rotation with my back. And so there was always something that I was treating either with my needles or with chiropractic or with um, meditation or what have you. And so in my office, I would often have patients come in with like back pain. We'd get on top of it and then they'd still end up keeping their follow-up appointments because they'd have a new pain develop in their neck or their shoulder or their knee. And we would always have something to work on. This would even happen during a single session where one needle would take one pain away and then they'd say, well, now it moved over here. And uh, we'd just keep chasing the pain around the body that way. And now I see that as just symptom shifting. So we were able to take care of the pain in one spot, but the emotions still hadn't been dealt with. So it had to move elsewhere. And so... That's why acupuncture is often just temporary if you're not doing the emotional work at the same time. But the two together can be pretty helpful, especially if you're in acute pain. And if nothing else, it can just be a diagnostic tool to show you that, hey, if your pain left you even for a few hours after needles were placed elsewhere on the body, Like, how crazy is that? That means that your structures are fine, right? Because if they weren't, they would never feel that relief, right? And so if while listening to that list, you nodded your head to some or most of the situations that trigger TMS, then I say you can confidently diagnose yourself with TMS Um, And I say this only because TMS physicians are pretty rare in the United States. But if you go to the TMS wiki, you'll find a list. Everyone in Wisconsin anyway um, that I reached out to either no longer practices, um, you know, they, they still practice within the medical model because that's how they keep their jobs. Um, Or they didn't respond to my emails. And this was about a year ago. And so because they're so far and few between, you really have to take your healing into your own hands and and know in your heart that you can heal. And so, like I said, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice, but I believe that we all have TMS. And the ones who don't doubt that heal every time. It's Only when we used our ingrained negative biases and think to ourselves, well, my pain must be the exception to the rule, right? That's the only time that we find ourselves in this limbo, um, you know, that keeps us away from healing. Okay, so let's say you've decided for yourself that you have TMS. Now what, right? It's uh, often just the knowledge that can help people heal. So just 
removing the fear from whatever their diagnosis is can be a huge shift for people. But for many, 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 many people, um, just that knowledge isn't enough. And so um, some other things that you can do include, number one, allowing the pain to be there. You must be brave enough to lean into it. Don't fix your posture. Don't pull back from it. Don't only sleep in certain positions. All of those avoidance practices keep you in a subtle state of fear, which is only natural to feel, but keep reminding yourself that you're strong and sturdy and know that your structure, your body can get used to whatever your structures are doing. And so the more we adjust our movements, the more neurotic we become about them and the more we fear normal physical activity. So in order to defeat it, we must allow it to be there without condition, without a timeline. So the more you think this should be gone by now, then you're still TMSing over the TMS. Alan Gordon and Dr. Howard Schubiner call this outcome independence, where we do the emotional work and we get back into physical activity without needing the pain to leave right now. Hold hold on to that trust in your body and, and know that you expect it to leave and it will leave, but it's only when you creep back into doubt and fear that it stays with you even longer. So when you need it to be gone now, you hold yourself in a state of resistance, which begets more tension. So just allowing it to be there without condition, without a timeline. That's the most important part, I think. And then in order to deal with our emotions, I believe we must think very immaturely about them. (laughs) We must tap into that inner five-year-old within us that didn't want all the burdens and responsibilities that you've developed for yourself. So your pain serves as a distraction from everything that the five-year-old version of you would have a temper tantrum about. So it's my uh, method to write down in a journal that I throw away all of the things that five-year-old me is pissed about. So just allowing myself to rage on the page and let, you know, even though I didn't swear as much when I was five, I let those swear words come out and acknowledge that, no, I don't want my student loan debt. No, I don't want to go to work every day. No, I don't want to do this and do that. And we have so many responsibilities that I don't want to do. So I just kind of run through the gamut of rage at life pressure. And so think immaturely. Don't try to be spiritual. Don't try to intellectualize your experiences as being uh, part of your path, which they are. But the more you do that, the more you deny yourself the shadow expression that needs to happen in order to uh, alleviate mind-body symptoms. And so think immaturely. And then also try to notice how consumed you are with the thoughts of your pain. And it's only normal. When you're in pain, that's all you can think of, right? And so 
um, this constant focus is a form of worry that only breeds more tension and more pain. So the more your thoughts are directed at what's wrong in your body, the more stress and tension we generate. So try to remove fear from the equation. Know that your body is strong despite the pain that you're going through. And then, so when you kind of go at your pain with that attitude that like it's strong, I know it hurts, but I know I'm not fragile, even though I feel fragile, then the tendency to obsess over and catastrophize the pain gradually fades and fades and fades. So what I like to do is I like to find um, things to distract me. So whether it's something to watch to make me laugh or thinking about something that brings me joy or thinking about the love I have for someone. Um, And so the more I kind of like refocus, so focus from the pain onto something that is joy, joy giving um, that helps as well. And, um, and then the last thing, the most important thing, at least for me, um, is stop trying to heal. And I know that sounds crazy because like, of course I want to heal. Like I'm, I'm focused on this. I want to be the perfect healer. I want to get my body, um, perfect again. And so of course I'm going to try to heal. Right. But everything you do, with the motivation behind it that you are trying to fix yourself is a form of fear in and of itself. And it shows that you have some version of mistrust in your body's ability to do what it knows how to do, which is self-regulate. So each time you try to fix yourself, you are sending a signal to your subconscious brain that you still believe that you're broken and that breeds more and more fear. So for example, one time um, my pain flared and it was right around a time that I was dealing with my dog um, who was kind of just on her last few months and I didn't know what to do for her and the vet was coming over that day and I was trying to walk her, um, but she it was super cold out and I had to pick her up and take her back and... um, uh, that day my back went out, right? And so I knew about TMS at the time and I knew that the situation with my dog was the trigger, uh, but my pain was still there. And so I immediately started journaling for an hour. I um, started screaming at my subconscious mind. I started talking to my inner bully. I let my five-year-old inner child have a tantrum. I meditated for two hours and, you know, did all of these things, right? And I was still hurting. And so my husband came home from work and I'm like, you know, Tom, I, I'm hurting and I did this and I did this and I did this and I'm still not better. And I know what TMS is and why is this happening and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And he's like, well, sounds like you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself uh, to heal. And I was like, oh, you're right. (laughs) And so the moment I just stopped, I stopped it all. I stopped researching. I stopped Googling. I stopped journaling. I stopped doing all of those things and I just let it be there and trusted once again, even though I forgot for a moment, to trusted that my body would figure it out. And it did. It was gone in two days. 
And so, you know, it's only natural to kind of get into that re- that hamster wheel in your head when you're hurting of like, how do I get out? How do I get out? How do I get out? And yeah, the only way out is just relaxing into the experience and knowing that that experience is a sacred teacher that is trying to communicate something to you. And maybe you'll figure it out. Maybe you won't. But um, but trying to put your expectations and your deadlines on it, um, will only keep you kind of stuck. So, um, so yeah, so allowing, and then one last thing is keep visualizing your body as healthy and sturdy. Imagine that your spine is perfect with healthy images of blood flowing to and through every area that needs more blood flow. Imagine that as you move the areas that hurt, that the areas that don't hurt are pouring their perfect blood flow and circulation to the areas that do hurt. Focus on what feels good and know that pain is not your enemy. It is a blessed teacher who is lovingly trying to help you through this thing called life. So know that when you begin this process, the pain may get worse before it gets better. This is a wonderful sign, even though it sucks. It's moving and shifting and amplifying as a last ditch effort to keep you in fear, to keep you safe from the emotions that your brain deems as too troubling. Keep going. The more your pain tries to move and frighten you in the in new areas, the closer you are to feeling better. I'll see on the pain forums every now and again, people saying like, well, my neck is better on this side, but now it's over on this side. Like, what the heck? And I say like, you got to look at that as a wonderful sign. The moment it moves, then suddenly it's like, oh, well, it's not, if it were my structures, it wouldn't move, right? And so that's a beautiful sign that you're going to be just fine. And so whether your pain is physical or if you're dealing with more emotional pain, know that the mind and body are one. You cannot separate the two. Healing is not usually linear either. So getting stuck on the timelines will keep you stuck. And trust that anytime your pain increases, that's a wonderful sign and not a setback. In the meantime, just Try to find anything you can to self-soothe. Go have fun and live life despite the pain. Do deep breathing into your abdomen to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. Do things that build you up. And and yeah, trust trust in the process. You will be fine. And so I want to end today with another Alan Watts clip. And this one, um, you know, is one that he is specifically talking about um, overcoming pain. And so we'll get right into that. But I will say goodbye to you guys for now. So thank you guys for tuning in again. I really appreciate your support and that you're listening. And if you have any questions for me, feel free to reach out to mindbodymasterypodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you want to join our little Facebook group, which is still quite small, but growing, um, head on over to Mind Body Masters. Um, It's a private group where you can ask questions and get advice. Um, I'll be in there often. So again, thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, I 
believe in your body's wisdom, and I hope you do too. We'll talk to you later. Now, there's another aspect of the problem, and that is that a great deal of our negative attitude to the experience of pain and acute physical pain I'm speaking of now is connected with a certain culturally conditioned unwillingness to react to pain in the natural way. In other words, we are afraid of giving in to suffering in the way that our own physical organism suggests to us. We are afraid of crying. We are afraid of screaming. We are afraid of going into those very undignified motions which constitute the human being's reaction in pain. Even though, as I just pointed out, we sometimes have the very same reactions in acute pleasure. But we are fundamentally ashamed of pain because we are taught that giving in to pain, weeping or something like that, is unmanly, sissy or something like that. Now, it's a very dangerous doctrine that a human being should always be rigid in conditions of suffering. I often like to quote a passage from that Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu, L-A-O-T-Z-U, which says, Man at his birth is supple and tender. In death he is rigid and hard. Plants, when they are young, are pliant and soft, but when dead they are brittle and dry. Thus, Tenderness and softness are the companions of life, but rigidity and hardness are the companions of death. In other words, there is strength in weakness. Consider a cat. When a cat drops off a tree, what does the cat do? Does it go rigid? Does it say, I'm going to be a real tough guy and meet the ground without flinching? Does the cat stick out its feet like this? No. Because if it did, when it hit the ground, it would be just a broken bag of bones. When the cat's in midair, it relaxes. It goes with it. It becomes weak. And so it hits the ground with a soft, heavy thud and is unharmed. Think also of water. Water was one of the basic symbols of Lao Tzu's philosophy. To be like water. Nothing in the world is softer and more yielding than water. And yet at the same time, nothing is like water for overcoming and wearing away things which are hard, like rocks. And thus, if you put a knife into water and you try to cut it, what happens? The water gives completely to the knife. The water closes up wherever the knife went. And although you strike at it as hard as you like, you can never create a wound. So it is, you see, because of its softness that the water triumphs over the hardness of the knife. So then it's the same with human beings. Unfortunately, we are so brought up to mistrust our natural feeling reactions to certain experiences. We are conditioned to believe that we will suffer less that we will somehow triumph over pain if we hold our feelings rigid. But you know, our 
reactions to pain are in a way therapeutic. They're healing, just like fever. When we have poisons in our blood, the natural defense mechanisms of the body send up our temperature and in this way boil out the invading bugs. Now, it used to be thought that when people had fevers, this was the disease. The fever itself was the disease. And so, once upon a time, doctors used to give medicine to take away the fever. But by taking away the fever, they very often killed the patient. Because they took away the defensive action of the body to drive out the disease. And so, in just the same way, if one refuses to react in the way of nature to invasions of pain, so, too, one may shatter the body beyond what it can stand. It's the same thing, you know. No bridge will stand up unless it has give. If a steel suspension bridge is built so firmly that it doesn't sway in the wind, that bridge will come crashing down on the first gale. It's just because there's give in it that the bridge is strong. Take a great building like the Empire State. The Empire State also has a sway in it. And if it didn't have that sway, it would be a very insecure structure indeed. So then, when we are willing to react to pain as our own natural feeling suggests, if we are willing to scream, if we are willing to weep, if we are willing to wriggle and writhe as pain suggests to us to do, a very strange thing happens. The very willingness to react in that way often makes it quite unnecessary to do so. Now, you may say I'm just talking big. And the only way I can prove what I say is the next time you have a toothache, the next time you have any serious pain, see what happens if you do this. If you, as it were, go along with the pain and don't try to fight it, yield, become weak, and you will discover the strength of weakness. So then you see, this is not really an escapist philosophy at all. It is most definitely a philosophy of keeping in mind the actual reality of the situation in which you find yourself. I don't know what could be more realistic than this, what could be more fundamentally facing the hard facts of life. One keeps his attention on the actual concrete fact that is happening as distinct from our socially conditioned and inculcated ideas and attitudes about it. And this is really facing reality a hundred percent. And so, there come out of this two basic results. The first is that when we don't resist pain, we don't set up a vicious circle in connection with it. Take the pain of fear again. Supposing you're in a situation where the doctor has told you you have to have an operation. And of course, if you're going to undergo this operation uh, in the best way, you need to be rested, you need to have plenty of sleep, you need to be strong, and so on. Well, fine advice, isn't it? Because the moment you know you've got to have an operation, you're liable to get a bit frightened, and then you know you ought not to be frightened. You ought not to stay awake at nights and worry about it. You need sleep. Then you get afraid, you see, because you're afraid. You're afraid that your fear is going to lead to insomnia and uh, debility. 
And so you are afraid of being afraid. And then because you see that you are afraid of being afraid, you are afraid because you are afraid because you are afraid. So that worry is always a vicious circle in which you are worrying because you worry, because you worry, because you worry. And this, as it were, builds up a whole chain of reactions which makes the pain of fear worse and worse and worse. So then, if at any point in this link we can, as it were, be willing, be willing to be worried, and then you don't worry about being worried. Be willing to be afraid. Then you don't have to be afraid of being afraid. And so this, in other words, diminishes the total amount of pain because it doesn't allow the painful situation to build itself up and up and up and up. In the same way, if somebody stuck a hook into you and you pull away from it, well, the hook goes more deeply into you. But if you're caught like a fish on a hook and you go with the hook. This reduces the amount of tension. And this works backwards all the way down the line. Now there's also a second result. And that is that when our mind, our consciousness, our attention is fully focused on what is, on the actual situation, as I said, we are free from various thoughts about it and associations with it that bring up a context which makes the experience painful. So you might say that this is an attitude of taking things as they come one at a time. For example, many of you who are not blessed with dishwashers have to wash many dishes day after day. And when you've been married as a woman for, oh, 10 or 11 years, one day you're sitting there at the sink, utterly weary of the whole thing. And in your mind's eye comes the immense pile of dishes which you've had to wash day after day in the past. There they are in your mind's eye, standing up, piled forever and ever on the draining board. And also in your mind's eye is that enormous pile of dishes that you're going to have to wash in the future. And you think, my life is that of a mere drudge. Washing dishes, washing dishes, washing dishes, and there's no end to it. But if you were realistic, you would see this. You have only one dish to wash in your life, this one. You can only wash one dish at a time. And that's the only one you have to deal with. It's the same with climbing a mountain. If you start to think as you climb, oh, what a lot of steps to take then the task becomes utterly oppressive. Or if, for example, you make a New Year's resolution and you say, well, I'm going to go on the wagon. I'm not going to drink anymore this New Year. And if you say, this whole year I will not touch another drop of drink, well, of course, the old devil immediately brings to your mind 365 days of not drinking anything, anything alcoholic. And that's overwhelming. Don't tempt the devil that way. One conquers the problem by not drinking this one and saying nothing about the next. So with the climbing of the mountain, taking each step as if it were the only step to be taken. And so, in the situation there, where there is the experience of agony, whether it be physical or whether it be moral, the way out is, in a way, suffering that agony as if this were the only thing in the whole world to be done. By going right down to the bottom of the furnace 
no further pains will harass you. It was also so, isn't it, in Dante's Divine Comedy, when Dante and Virgil find their way out of hell by going down to the very center of hell. I like to illustrate this with another of those Zen stories. There was a monk who got news that his mother had died and he was weeping. And another Buddhist monk said to him, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You a monk still showing worldly attachments by weeping. He said, don't be silly. I'm weeping because I want to weep. 